Heavy Cardboard, episode 129, Teo Coming to you from the Valley of Mexico. Okay, not really. You're outside Boston, Massachusetts, but welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I'm Edward. And I'm Greg. Hey, welcome back, Greg. Hey. He of the Trickerian episode, I believe it was, right? Yeah. All right, cool. So uh, what's going on with you? Uh, Not much. I've been on vacation this week. Uh, I've been playing a lot of... What's that? Yeah. <laughs> you'll you'll know eventually. Eventually, right. Um, been playing a lot of Final Fantasy. Which one? Uh, well, I just beat 10 at the beginning of the week. And um, man, it's not as good as I remembered. It didn't, didn't have legs, like uh, staying power, I guess. Right, is, right. Yeah. I mean, it had been a decade since I played it, but... Most of these I haven't played in a decade, and when I pick them up, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. This one I picked up, and for the first few hours, I was like, oh, this is fun. Why Why do I think this is going to be a bad time? And uh, towards the end, I was just like, oh, yeah. I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> so why now? Why the motivation to get back into playing Final Fantasy? Not that you shouldn't, because Final Fantasy VII is still, and Final Fantasy Tactics are two of my favorite all-time video games, but what's the kick lately? Um, well, I've been trying to find something to stream consistently over on Twitch, caffeine, over on Twitch, Twitch, Twitch okay. yeah, yeah. Right. and, uh, Final Fantasy. I mean, I have every Final Fantasy, so I thought I'd play all of them uh, and get them done. All, all of them, like in the, not in the span of your va- a week vacation. No, 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 okay. no, no. I like, was like, wow, you're that's, that's impressive. I think even the world record speed run for like seven is still eight hours. <laughs> No, thanks. I'd rather meander. Thank you. Right, right. That's uh, that's crazy. Um, So after 10, I I went to 9, which is working a little backwards, but whatever. Are you enjoying 9 more than you did 10? So much more. Why? Now, I'll be... uh, Full disclosure, I think I played... uh, I know I finished Final Fantasy 7. I think I played some of 8, and then I haven't touched it since. So I'm off the grid a bit. Without going too deep, why is 9 better than 10? Well, to begin with, the story is a story. Okay. It it actually has like a beginning, middle, end, rising arc. There's tension. Um but the world feels alive. Like there it feels like there's a real world to explore. Okay. Um when I'm going from area to area, it's not just like, oh, okay, it's now it's the blue forest instead of the raining forest instead of the thundering area. So whereas 10 just feels st- Static or what? Yeah, then the areas just kind of blend into one another. You kind of end up in them. There's no real sense of like where you are in the world, and you get kind of bored. You're just like, whatever. I'm just gonna keep killing the same monster over and over again because they they all they do for the different areas is they just put the same monsters but with a new like. Well, this one's water-based instead of fire from the last area. So, would you say no emergent gameplay? Sure. Huh. Interesting. Foreshadowing. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Cool. So PAX East is this weekend. I'm looking forward to it in a sense that this was my first ever trip to Boston last year for PAX East. Uh, got a play of Greed Inc. in at that last year. Had a really, really good time. I actually um, met you in person. 
Is that where we really is that? I feel terrible. That well, it I, was so brief. Was it? Okay. Uh, it lets me off the hook a little bit, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I know that um, Epic is supposed to be making some big Borderlands reveal at PAX East. And seeing as I have a media badge, I might sneak into that. And by sneak in, I mean, go in and check it out because Hey, it's video games as well. This time last year, PUBG was a really big thing. And so I'm looking forward to it. It's a local con. I get to sleep in my own bed every night. Don't have to travel. Do have to either pay for parking or be sneaky about it. But outside of that, yeah, it's I'm looking forward to this being a, I mean, it's a working con in that, you know, Leader Games is going to be there. Renegade's going to be there. And, you know, a handful of board game publishers are going to be there. So I'm going to, you know, touch base uh, with the whole and do the whole nine yards. But I'm there to play games and, uh, you know, check out some video game stuff. Going kind of as a tourist, sort of, which is kind of fun. I'm just a dude there. That's that's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. I've done Paxi's so much. Uh, so I know exactly what you're talking about. There's just so much to see there, not just board games. Uh, of all the packs, there there's supposed to be the weakest ones with the board games. Anyway, uh, I'll be honest. I was pretty impressed with it last year. the the uh, The first look section, I actually loaned three games uh, for the first look section. I gave them uh, my copy of Sukuyumi, my prototype of Irish Gage, and my prototype of Quality Beasts Upcoming Towers of the Sun. Those are the ones they asked for. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember if they still have Pipeline and City of the Big Shoulders, but I think they have their own copies. So I think Rand get me got me my copies back. But moral of the story is there's still a lot of really good board gaming going on there, which is the whole appeal for it for me to begin with. And I'll go for a couple of days and hang out with folks. And uh, most of the enforcers, the folks that work, uh, there is like game explainers or whatever in the first look, most of them are patrons, which is awesome. So I get to meet up with folks who enjoy the show. So that's always, always enjoyable for me. So we're, I guess working backwards here, as you can hear, I don't sound nearly as sick as I did coming back from gamma. I got pretty sick there at the end, but not like a couple years ago. I got sick. I got a cold. I got over it and persevered through it. So unfortunately, it did cause the podcast to be delayed by a week because, wow, did I sound rough, really rough there for about a week. Yeah. And so Gamma was a good time. If you guys haven't heard today's, and I say today because we're recording this on Wednesday. Sorry, Joel. Uh, recording this on Wednesday. Earlier today, did an Ask the Elephant where I kind of ran through what all uh, Gamma was about. And I apologize for no di- daily diaries. But again, being sick, I just really wasn't up for recording stuff. Basically, what that was, was had some meetings uh, with Eagle Griffin and with Borden Dice. Eagle Griffin uh, secured a partnership with them for, obviously, Age of Steam and any subsequent Age of Steam things. And for all of VTOL Lacerda's games. So we're going to be doing sponsored live streams for all of those. And spent a day with the fellas from Borden Dice. And got a chance to look at a number of upcoming titles from them, including the expansion for tonight's feature review, which, gotta say, pretty stoked for. And, oh yeah, got a copy of that sitting right here in front of us, which is always nice to use it as motivation and, and, and to put it uh, get us in the right mood for recording this. 
also got a chance to take a look at an upcoming, and I think it's going to be a 2020 release from them, uh, the next Daniel Tassini, uh, Daniele uh, Tassini game. I'm not allowed to talk about any more than that, other than to say it's heavy. It's definitely heavier than Teo, and it's uh, it's got a lot of stuff going on, and we really enjoyed it, even though it looked like clip art because it's still very much a prototype. And they were actually playtesting and changing things up until the morning of that morning. So good stuff coming. Uh, so that was really good. Had some meetings with, uh, let's see, who else? Floodgate Games to talk about a playthrough for Bosk which is a gorgeous game coming from them. The artwork from Quan Chai Moria, looking forward to that. And also touch base with the folks over at Broken Token, as well as obviously Capstone. That's where I picked up the copy of Irish Gage from. And uh, a handful of other things that I can't really talk about yet, but are coming. So yeah, overall, really productive, really successful trip to gamma happy with it and i think uh we all benefit because it benefits us as a show it benefits the publishers because we get to feature their games in a more timely manner and it benefits you all because well you guys get to make better informed decisions on whether or not the game would be good for you and your group so win all the way around all three legs of the of the wheel or spokes of the wheel if you will heavy cardboard the listeners and viewers as well as the publisher so win-win there all right so what you've been playing dude um well for the first time ever i finally got to play age of steam i feel like i had failed you a bit in that it took you took you that long or took us that long to get you to play age of steam so i apologize for the delay no 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 thoughts about it uh it is great it it is don't say (laughs) i've i heard that you might like it a little yeah it's up there you know whatever uh no it's good i anticipated it was gonna go well and i enjoyed it every minute of it the so much depth and thought has to be put into every action and consideration like it's not just oh i'll do this and we'll see what happens it's i'll do this and i hope that it works yeah you better have a a a reason and a plan for literally every single thing you do in age of steam yeah and it doesn't look like that when you when you're describing the game to somebody and you put it down in front of them uh the first thought isn't okay i definitely need to think about the next like 13 turns it's just, ooh, what a pleasant little game with moving cubes. Or not. Yeah. So, yeah, good. Glad you enjoyed Age of Steam. What else? Um, I've been playing a lot of Newton. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I know you guys weren't super keen Oh, I on didn't it. like it. Just uh, forget not really keen. I just didn't like it. Sure. Yes. And I had seen that, but someone asked me to play it anyway. And I said, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, I really dug it. And that's that's awesome to hear because just because we don't like it or I don't like it doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't. Hey, on the playthroughs, we present the game and teach it and you make your own decision. So exactly. if it looks like something you dig, dig it then. So good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I just we don't need to play it together. We're good. Sure. sure. <laughs> I, I, ended up, I ended up getting a copy of it for free, uh, which is just the right price. It, it, it does seem so. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, you know. 
played it a few more times after that and everyone i've shown it to has had pretty good reception to it so i mean i i enjoy the game and i definitely see its flaws yeah don't get me wrong there i i think the game is fine it's just not for me mm. i it, it's too much mental burn for the payoff I just didn't feel like it it rewarded the amount of effort that you need to put into the game to for the decision space. It just didn't feel as rewarding for me. And I, I feel like it wasn't too mentally taxing for me, whereas some other games... Well, you're smarter than I am, so I'm okay with this. That's, that's fine. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> I see some games differently than you, and you see some... Yeah, things. totally. No, no, yeah. just messing. It's just a big picture thing. Um. Yeah, but that's Newton. All right. All right. And the other game, uh, Wingspan. So I know, I'll be honest. So I haven't played it. I haven't seen it. I know you have a copy. We're mm-hmm. going to we're gonna do a lunchtime stream of it in the coming month or so for it. But honestly, the only thing I know about it is it's about birds and it's going for some seriously high dollar amount of money right now currently. I did not know that. Well, yeah. I, I pre-ordered it too. I think the second I saw a game about birds, I was just like, "Sure, Stegmeier, take my money." I saw a copy go for over a thousand dollars on eBay. Apparently, provided it wasn't Photoshop. That's that's as your eyes bug out of your head. Uh, there, there's no game that I could conceive of that would be worth that to me. But everybody's worth is different. So, Wingspan, what about it? Um, for me, uh. When it comes to set collections games and like engine building games, I'm all for it. I'll give them a shot. It wasn't too expensive and it was about birds. Okay. There aren't a lot of bird games. Really, the bird thing is the main appeal to this game, which I know to a lot of the listeners isn't like... Well, no, I, hey, well, I, I heard it's got pretty art. I literally have not seen it or anything. I know, and I think that's somewhat intentional. I'm like, yeah, yeah, latest, greatest hotness, and it's Stonemeyer, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a pretty okay game. Okay. And I'm, I'm glad to have it, and I definitely like showing it to people, Um, but definitely most of what I'm fascinated with is taking the cards apart and being like look they made it factually accurate <laughs> i heard good things about it like uh from that standpoint and it's supposed to look beautiful yeah gameplay yeah. wise i guess i'll find out later this month yeah uh so what have you been playing uh there's this little game called bus mm. so the 20th anniversary edition if you guys uh didn't hear it's coming back we did a live stream big announcement that Capstone is reprinting the 20th anniversary edition of Bus, and I'd say that went over well. That that was that was well received. I'm excited about it because, frankly, I don't own a copy, so that was great. We did a playthrough. Uh, basically, everything I'm going to talk about here, with I think one exception, has to do with playthroughs. Because, well, frankly, I don't get a chance to play a whole lot of games that aren't for playthroughs. Sukiyumi. The standees slash minis game that's currently on Kickstarter. I didn't not enjoy it, but it's I like the way that battles are no luck in in that regard, but it it became a little bit too deterministic. I think it's just for me, a war game feels like it needs to have a little bit of uncertainty in it and there is none in this game so on the one hand 
I applaud that. I appreciate it. But overall, not really something that I'm Jones in to play a whole lot more. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's the only uncertainty is whether or not your opponent will attack you, which they will. Right. Or whether or not they're going to try and conquer the land instead of going after the the faction units themselves. I thought it was okay. Um, not not ZOMG, my favorite. Um, but I didn't dislike that. I wasn't clamoring for those hours back after playing it. Right. It's one of those things. Once I was done with it, I was like, "Cool, that was neat." Next, right. So, real quick, uh, when we played Bus on the stream, it was your first play of it. Yes. What was your uh, impression of it again? Uh, one of the best games ever made, maybe, <laughs> possibly. You really, you really are smitten with that uh, time stopping mechanic in that anything or mechanism. Anything that lets you, uh, just put down a cube and then smirk and have the entire table squirm. I love that mechanic. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's see what else. CO2, second chance. The We played the semi-co-op slash competitive uh, version of the game. I thought I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. It's not my favorite Lacerda, but at the same time, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than when I first played it, shoot, five, six years ago. Plus, the artwork is beautiful. The 3D components were really nice. Uh, a lot of people are clamoring for us to show off the, the, uh, the fully co-op, uh, in April. And you know what, what the hell might as well try it. I think, uh, I, there were a couple of the folks at the table, Jess and Khan, who said that they either were really interested in the fully co-op or enjoyed that more. So, okay, let's give it a try. That sounds good. Affliction Salem 1692. Okay. Full confession. When I said we were going to stream this, I was like, yeah, all right, fine. We'll, we'll give it a play. I originally was interested in this game because of the theme and having just moved to, I don't know, about 10 miles away from the city of Salem or the town of Salem village, whatever, <laughs> uh, town of Salem, uh, the history of it appealed to me and come to find out the, the game is actually really historically accurate the way it portrays everything. Apparently, there were 20 people put to death, 19 of which were women, one of which, uh, Giles, and I forget his last name, he was uh, pressed to death, meaning they, uh, over the course of two days, used stones to lay on top of him until finally he couldn't catch his breath anymore, and that's how... That's got to be one of the worst ways I've ever heard of being put to death. That sounds horrible. And I was playing the faction that actually wanted, I got extra points by imprisoning him, i.e. putting him to death. So I, it really made me feel uncomfortable, which I think is a good thing about a game. It's a very simple, mechanically, worker placement game that plays really well two three and four players and i yeah i enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i would and in fact found out that the witch museum in salem actually sells this game as well so that was huh. that was really cool the uh the peanut gallery in the chat the designer was there as well as a whole lot of other people that were really knowledgeable about the history of this they were dropping knowledge about the the details of all of this which made it a much more immersive 
uh, experience and really enjoyed that. So that was cool. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, because there's a lot of stuff in Salem that isn't super kosher. Like, right. It's kitschy, right? I mean, it's very touristy and... Sure. And a lot of museums have these like really strange claim to fame. Like, oh, we have the uh, one support beam for the building that had the courtroom in it. Really? Yeah. I was. I so I've been there a couple times, but I ha- I wasn't. I but didn't realize I, all that. Okay. I'm saying there's a like a lot of these little places that don't really have, have a any. claim to fame, but they want to. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So, and from what I've heard, don't go there during uh, Halloween time. It's a madhouse. Or, or if you're into that sort of thing, like I am, go to Salem on Halloween. <laughs> well, there's that. Okay. Millennium Blades also got streamed. That's a whole lot of chaos, a whole lot of fun, and a whole lot of things that I should not like about this game. Yet, for a couple times a year, I do so love me some CCG meta gaming. Yeah, I played with you guys uh, before the stream. Test it out. And from someone who plays a lot of magic and a lot of stuff like that over the years, it's interesting. It It bothered me because I couldn't actually metagame and i think that was the only issue i had because i'm just like no but the best card's over there (laughs) (laughs) then irish gauge uh being able to break that out and show that off to folks was awesome it's one of my top 50 games uh my very first winsome that i played and it it holds water i'm still Happy to have it in my top 50, and I'm excited that it's going to be reprinted also, so I can finally get a copy of the game as well. Yeah, and I played it on the stream, and it was uh, it was good. I liked it. Cool. Dinogenics, uh, Jurassic Park, the board game, checks out. It actually, yeah, it, it worked really well. Um, you and Jess both had comparisons between it and Dinosaur Island, saying that they're very similar, yet not, right? Yeah, it... it- feels a lot like it comes down to tone uh strategy i feel like it's sort of the same build up your park get your things um but the way that them they you actually score points is different enough that it does feel different and a little bit less randomness in dinogenics than in dinosaur island but a lot more color in dinosaur island a lot more color hello (laughs) then railroad rivals with the robber baron expansion I didn't know what to expect because Railroad Rivals, I felt, was a little basic uh, in and of itself. But the expansion actually added enough variability and enough tension that, yeah, fun little thinky filler uh, stepping stone. uh, If you had some some folks that you weren't sure about getting them into something like Age of Steam or something like that, this could be used as a stepping stone. So there was that. Panamax, DR Congo Solo. And yes, at Gamma, I played my first ever Haba games, Rhino Hero, the Jumbo Edition. That was a lot of fun at like 11 o'clock at night. Everyone's drinking. I don't drink when I go to conventions um, when I travel because I'm at work even after hours, so I don't drink. But a lot of people were having a good time playing uh, Rhino Hero, getting it to where it's, you know, six feet in the air in the whole nine yards. So that was cool, Uh, as well as some other games, which I'll talk about here in a little bit as far as acquisitions what you got recently sir uh the last game i bought was lowlands i've heard good things about it right farming sheep in scotland yeah yeah it's got this really interesting mechanic that i'm looking to try uh 
basically we all have our own sheep farm, but on this main board, there's a flood that's coming in and we have to build a dam cooperatively. Uh, if the dam holds, sheep are worth more. If the dam breaks, sheep are worth less, but building the dam is worth more. Um, so this is sort of back and forth trade. If you spend too much time building the dam, you're not going to have enough sheep and the people who built sheep are going to, so you really just have to keep balancing. So everybody's incentivized to help build the dam, but to a point, right? And same goes with making sure you get enough sheep for yourself. Exactly. Cool. All right. That it? Uh, yeah, I've been pretty slow on buying games lately. Well, you've been playing video games, so there's that. Yeah, that's part of it. For me, uh, stuff from Gamma, uh, got a copy of Hunga from uh, Gamma from, I'm sorry, from Haba at Gamma. And okay, didn't, this was truly my first ever Haba games game. And these are usually made for kids. However, there's a lot more here than I would have expected for like a, a kid's game. I think, and the the gist of the game is, so if you have children, and I'm saying, you know, nine, ten years old, this seems like a really, really good game, and would also be interesting for the adults as well. Uh, you have these discs that, there are four places in which you can place these discs. These discs have a number of hands on them. I want to say they reign, I think they all have five hands, and then the super powered up ones have six or, or six and seven respectively, whatever it is. And wherever you place your disc, there are four quadrants on each disc, and there are a number of hands in two or three of the different quadrants. And the number of hands that are in each quadrant, depending on where you position them and where you aim, where you aim them, they're going to give you actions based in what quadrant you're placing this. However, the what the game is trying to teach younger players is there is there's Honga, which is this a jungle cat. I don't know. I can't remember if he was a cheetah or a tiger or whatever. It doesn't matter. You have to make sure that you pet Honga with at least one of the hands. So, yes, you have to pet the kitty. If you don't, Honga comes and visits you before you take any actions. And Honga's going to steal food. And you have four or five different resources that you're going to be collecting in the game. And he will every turn at the beginning of your turn, if you have Honga or if somebody else had Honga and you don't go and pet Honga, he comes and steals your least most valuable resource. And if you don't have any of those, then he steals the next higher and so on and so forth. However, being able or forcing you, if you choose to always pet Honga, you're taking less optimal moves. But then again, if you do, you're not having him steal resources from you. So it's a really interesting not press your luck, but when is the right time to where I don't mind losing potentially, say, three resources over the course of three rounds because I'm going to be able to get these extra actions or extra resources or goal cards or complete these goal cards or whatever. And I thought it was a really, really well done, legitimate Euro, albeit on the lighter end, but on any given turn, you have 16 different options on your turn. So there's a lot more decision here than I ever would have thought from a kid's game. Hmm. So really well done. 
Now, keep in mind, that was my first ever introduction to Haba. So color me impressed. And then later that night, we played Rhino Hero, which that's just silly fun and was a lot of fun. But yeah, Honga, good stuff. So got a copy of that. Thanks to Tiffany over at uh, Haba Games. Then uh, got, let's see, uh, we'll double back to Gamma here in a minute, but got the Illusions of Glory Errata Kit from GMT. And sticking with GMT, the big thing that I got that I'm excited about is the Time of Crisis expansion, the Age of Iron and Rust. Yes, we have streamed it, but we have not streamed it here, nor with the expansion. That's going to happen in April. I really want that. I love that game. I really, really have enjoyed all my plays of it, and I'm excited to check out what the expansion has. So there's that. Doubling back to Gamma, then we got three things from the folks at Board and Dice. All three are prototypes, but one of which is basically a production version of the prototype, which is Dust in the Wings. I can't really say much about it other than legitimately good thinky filler. You'll probably see a lunchtime stream of that. Then there's a game called Sierra West that it has kind of cartoonish type art, but the mechanisms in this game are super thinky. And this was hard as hell and frustrating in the best ways possible. Can't really say a whole lot more than that, other than you're going to see that later on this year as well. And of course the Teotihuacan expansion, the late pre classic period, which I'm not going to go too in depth about it. Cause well, honestly, you're going to see it uh, both the unboxing on Monday. If you want all the details, we're going to have Reiner all fours who is from board and dice. He's actually coming out and going to be uh, streaming the unboxing with us. And then we're going to be doing a live stream later on that week of the expansion. So you'll be able to see it in action. But the thing that I like most about the expansion without going too far in depth about it is it brings, in my opinion, a whole lot to the game with very little rules overhead. So you don't need to relearn a whole lot to add as much or as little as you want of the modules. And honestly, from everything that I've seen, there's no reason not to add all the modules to it. So there you go. That's that's what all I've acquired. Pretty pretty good haul, I'd say, for the last few weeks. Yeah, a little bit. What you uh anything you're hunting down or anticipating, good sir? Uh there's some I'm waiting for in the mail, been waiting for for it feels like forever. Uh Gentes Deluxe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That hasn't delivered yet, huh? No. Uh, should be delivering uh, sometime. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right. There's that. What else? Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, the Clinic Deluxe Kickstarter. Me too. April 2nd. Oh, jeez. It's too close. Although I have 30 days to get the money for it. There is that. Yeah. And uh, on Mars as well. Uh, which later in April, I think it I think is it's like 26 or something, it's something um, you would think I would know that because we're doing a live stream of on Mars. Mm. So, yeah. Anyway, both of those coming in April. I am super stoked for both those legitimately. Yeah, I have not played. Obviously, I have the original clinic. I uh, have not played that in many moons since. Well, soon after I got it, broke my brain. The three dimensional aspect of that is just really hard for me do you still have a copy of course we should play it on stream oh we should do so and on mars i don't have a copy of it yet it's coming should be here next week but looking forward because v tall i'm willing to always check that out so looking forward to that 
for for me, uh, two things actually from Spielworks, which I I this probably isn't a surprise to anybody. Yinzi, which I actually played at LyriaCon last year and was excited for it then. That hasn't gone away, and that's finally available. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting a copy of that. And of course, Demacher 2.0. Or is it 4.0? Because technically it'd be the fourth edition, but it's a reimagining of it. And I don't know the changes on what uh, what they've done to it, but I'm looking forward to checking it out nonetheless. I cannot wait to see that. I hope it's good. I hope it's good. I hope it's good. I hope it's good. <laughs> All right. Things that we've acquired, things we're anticipating. What do you want to get played? What are you stoked to play? I'm stoked for tonight for PAX Premier 2.0. Yeah, me too. Very much so. Having played the game a couple times already, really enjoy this game. I've never played PAX Premier before, but uh, I mean, I like Cole's work and getting a chance to play with him. That's also neat too. That doesn't that doesn't suck. I hear you. Yeah. I originally played the first edition of PAX Premier with Cole. He taught it at BGGCon three, four years ago, whichever year it had just come out. I forget which it was. I remember thinking, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing or why I'm doing it or how. I, I am so completely and utterly overwhelmed by this game. But being really, really intrigued by it. However, I never got it back to the table. Full compa- full confession, I just I just didn't. Wanted to, just didn't. Then, the second edition, PAX Premier, Cole said he was bringing out. Originally played this at... Let me see. Played this at Essen with Cole, Jess, and Jordan Draper in Jordan Draper's booth. And Jordan was one of the playtesters for this, actually, as well. So those two had no problems being able to just crush. I don't think I scored in that game. Yikes. Uh, And then we played it again at BGGCon. And this time, it was Cole and his brother who co-designed developed the whole nine yards that they're worldly gig games this is their first game it's the two brothers it was them me jess and jeff from fun again who has two thumbs and won that game oh yeah <laughs> that one i'm chalking up as a uh as a uh, you know a, a notch in the old bedpost or feather in my cap if you will that's that I won't forget. So I'm sure I'm going to get a house tonight. But that said, the game's finally making sense to me and I understand what it is I'm trying to do. That said, that might not be the case for everybody. This is still it's still cold whirly, which means it's opaque, which means it's hard to understand the why of what you're trying to do. The mechanisms are not hard in this game at all, but it's it's not easy you know what i mean right yeah and so yeah i'm i'm super stoked for this i cannot wait for tonight yes to show it off to everybody but from a selfish standpoint i just want to play the damn game (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i i too am looking forward to that uh and then a couple other or a few other games that we're going to be streaming this month and again I don't have a whole lot of time to play games that aren't for either reviews on the podcast or streams. So they're always have to do with the show for better or for worse. But those being Churchill masters of Venice and small city and the small city one is what was voted on by the patrons. So good choice there. I'm looking forward to that. 
I'm gonna actually try and get onto that one too because I love his games. Yeah, Albin Albin does quality work. So yeah. there you go. That's uh, that's what we're looking forward to. Should we get this started? Yeah, let's do this. Teotihuacan, published in 2018, designed by Daniele Tassini, artwork by Odysseus Stemoglu, and published by Board and Dice, or NSKN, which was NSKN prior to the merger of the two companies, which are now Board and Dice. Plays one to four players, plays in, it says, 90 to 120 minutes. As far as availability and cost, you can find it for about 45 bucks online. Had you pre-ordered it, could have gotten it for 35 bucks. And as far as plays and player counts we've experienced, I have about a dozen plays and a whole lot of short demos. All my plays have been two to four players. How about you, Greg? I have about five plays at four and three players. Okay. All right. So I apologize for the solo players out there. I'm still new to solo play playing and I didn't get a chance to do this. So my apologies. That said, tell folks what's going on in Teo. All right. In Teo Teowakan, you play as a scion of a powerful noble family attempting to gain glory in pre-Columbian civilization by helping instruct the Pyramid of the Sun in the Mesoamerican city of Teotihuacan. Teotihuacan is a dice placement game where your dice represent a worker pool that grow in strength with every move, which is represented by the number of pips on the dice. On your turn, you're going to move one of your workers in a clockwise direction around the board in what is essentially a giant rondelle. Once you've placed one of your dice on an action spot, you have one of three options. Collect Coco, the currency of the game, take the space's main action, or Worship, which is an action where you will lock one of your dice in a separate spot, making it unable to move again until you take the time to unlock it. The game is played over three identical eras, with each era ending in Eclipse Phase, which involves scoring and feeding of your workers. Then after all three Eclipse Phases, the player with the most glory points wins. Best thing about this game. Flat out. It has dice, but you don't roll your dice. Yeah. All right. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, no, I'm. that's really true, but I'm not saying that's the best part of the game. All right. Let's go over the five factors that we think contribute to the game's weight, starting out with complexity or the rules overhead, the mechanical complexity. Yeah, I think while mechanically fairly straightforward, there's a lot of if blank, then blank uh, in the rules to keep it straight. Oh, definitely. There is... Rules-wise, it's fiddly as hell as far as it's procedural. It should be procedural in that if you go to this location, you do A through F. If you don't do them in that order, you're likely to forget one of the steps. So therefore, do them A through F as an example. But yeah, uh, mechanical overhead, rules overhead, I feel like it's pretty straightforward. Like there is not one single action in this game that is difficult or tough or hard or opaque or anything like that. There's just a lot of, oh yeah, I forgot to do this in there. And if you forget to do it, then it kind of screws up the whole flow. Right. Yo dog, don't mess up the flow. Yeah. Honestly, the biggest thing to keep track of isn't how to do the things you need to do, but why you're doing them and what the point of doing the things that you're doing is. Which which is good because there's, a, I guess, a little bit of opacity when it comes to that. 
but ultimately, I mean, you're trying to score points and it is a bit point salad in that, you know, hey, everything is going to give you points in some form or fashion. Sure. And a lot of the board is just get a resource that you use later on. Right. Or the other way around, like, okay, I got the resources. Now I'm going to spend the resources to do a thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, the the one thing I consistently see people struggling with, because all five of my plays I've taught, uh, it's the cocoa. It's the landing on a space and spending the cocoa or landing on the space and getting cocoa. Uh, I'm not sure if that is a fault in the game or not, but that adds to the complexity. Yeah. It, it, do I, Okay. If I go there and I want to take the action, I owe cocoa. How much cocoa do I owe? Do I owe for every die? Do I owe only for the different colors that are there? It's just a matter of keeping all that straight and because it's then a little bit different if you're going there and not taking the action and just receiving cocoa. Yep. And, uh, I guess a part of the complexity, and this is sort of a fault of the art direction. So I'm going to talk about it more there, but it's not really super clear with the iconography. What exactly everything you're supposed to aim for is a lot of it is, but yes, there are definitely some missteps that inhibit uh, and, and make it a little bit more difficult than it could have been. I agree with that. So moving on to the planning or the the depth of the decision matrix, the how much thinking ahead do you do you require? Yeah, I mean, this isn't a game where you can just move randomly. You, I mean, you could, but you won't do well, right? Um, you have to plan at least a little bit ahead of turns, mostly because, like I said. A lot of the spaces are get a resource and the other ones are spend those resources. So you should be planning to be able to maximize doing those things with the fewest amount of actions because ultimately this is an efficiency game. Yep. And also the ascension mechanic. When your dice die or they, they become a six pip value, they die and they ascend and then they're reborn. Yes. Yeah. That whole thing, making sure that you manipulate that in your favor and not accidentally in someone else's favor. That's important. Too. And yeah, because that's the part that affects the timer of the game and timing that right matters. And that's where a lot of not a lot, but at least some of that planning depth comes into play. So moving on to luck and random factors, there's there's not a ton of randomness in this game during the game, but there's enough that it needs to be noted. Yeah, there's like inherent randomness and in that other players actions can't be predicted. Sure, but every game has that. And if it doesn't, I don't want to play that game, right? Sure. But the placement of the other players does impact your move. Agreed. So. Yes, because you can't predict what everyone else is going to do. Yes, you can't 100% predict your turn, but eh. Right, sure. Um, And there is a little bit of luck factor with the pyramid draws and the discovery tiles. Uh, What you pick up before you place on a building is going to matter. And sometimes you can end up with a dud. It happens, but we're talking a matter of a handful of points. And by a handful, I mean less than five. Yeah. So in a game where you're going to score 100, 200, maybe even 250 points, a couple of points here or there may make a difference, but eh, eh, 
So yeah, the the randomness of the decoration tiles, or as I like to call them, the steps to the pyramid, it kind of reminds you, as well as the draw for the different tiles for the pyramid. There, there, there can be things that benefit other players, but to me, the biggest randomness factor of this are the discovery tiles. Because these tiles, when they get refilled on the various locations, it is possible that it just sets somebody up just perfectly through, and there is zero way to have mitigated it. That's just randomness chit pull that can be a bit unfortunate in that regard because there's no way to mitigate it. Then moving on now to the game length, saying that the game normally plays in 90 to 120 minutes. Yeah, I usually get about 90 minutes on average. Um, most of my plays have been teaching new players who are a bit AP heavy, and it still clips along pretty fast. And it should. I've heard some people saying that their first game takes three, four hours to play, and I was like, wait, what? It shouldn't. The, the, this is a game that, okay, it may go somewhere between two and three hours for your first play. If everybody was new, I could see that. Sure. But after that, you're talking 90 minutes to two hours most. So I, I don't feel like the game length contributes here in any meaningful way because it plays in what it should play. And I feel like, yeah, yeah. I mean, even on the, one of my last playthroughs was with a group of people who were pretty AP heavy and we spent a lot of time you know, shooting the breeze, talking about other stuff that wasn't the game. It still didn't take longer than two hours. Okay. There we go. Yeah. And lastly, the getting it, how long does it take to really understand what it is you're trying to do and can start forming plans? So far in my experience, most new players kind of tend to get it after a few rounds. The only slip ups they have have to do with the iconography. Um, but for the most part, they understand, yes, go here, collect resource, get cocoa, go over there, spend resource, spend cocoa. Right. That part's on art. And the fact that there's just so many points is a point salad. There's so many ways to get points that really you don't have to focus on any one particular task to do well. There's enough for your first time through against other first players. There's enough that you're going to do well. Right. It's positive reinforcement because you're getting points for doing X, Y, and Z and possibly Q and F as well. So yeah, I I agree with that. To be able to play well, I I definitely think it takes a, a number of plays to be able to do so. And some would argue that I'm still not at that point. So fair enough, even after, you know, 10 plays or so. But that said, I, I tend to agree with you that it's a couple of rounds, go through one eclipse scoring, see how that works and whether or not you're playing the nicer or meaner variant, you know, the nicer game being, okay, there's going to be an eclipse. Everybody gets one last round to go ahead make sure you can feed your people type thing or the more cutthroat. Oh, somebody just triggered the eclipse. It's happening right now. Well, it's trial by fire or trial by, you know, rainbows and unicorns it's up to you so once you get through that first eclipse yeah you should pretty much have the game down so ultimately where do you think the game falls technically medium heavy because it's definitely heavier than a medium right it's heavier than rococo so this is definitely you know north of rococo i agree with that but just barely you think so yeah i don't because of the mechanical decision making space 
isn't too opaque. There isn't too much like, oh, what am I supposed to do here? There's just a lot of, oh, I needed to get four cocoa last round. Oh, okay. I I see that. I get that. That makes sense. This isn't uh, this isn't Pax Renaissance. Yeah, I, yeah, I I hear you. Um, but at the same time, I do think that. The mechanical fiddliness, meaning the the rules, I think definitely contribute here a fair bit. The fact that you need to remember things that it's easy to forget. There, there are enough things here easy to forget that it's a different type of weight than like Apex Renaissance. And obviously, I'm kind of going super opaque with the, with the uh, comparison here. But this is definitely going to be heavier than... Than something like a uh, Mombasa or something along the lines of that, just because of those mechanical uh, impediments. And not impediments isn't really fair. It's just there are steps. And the fact that the game didn't come with a player aid, we'll talk on that. That aggravates me because that would alleviate so much of the problem. But anyway, Ultimately, yeah, I would say medium heavy, north of Rococo, south of like a a brass, like it's not brass heavy. Yeah, somewhere close right. to brass. There yeah. you go. All right. So moving on to the components, graphic design and artwork, we'll start with the components. I couldn't be happier with it, honestly. Yeah, I think the Coco is a bit drab, but. Okay, fine. But that's it. That's one piece out of the whole box. Right. I, yeah, I mean, the dice are the dice, whatever. They're, they're markers. Well, actually, I really like the dice. Really? What may, what, why do you? The colors that they chose specifically are really nice and sharp and they stick out, uh, but they feel nice. I play a lot of d and I'm used to rolling a lot of dice. Fair enough. These are some of the best D6s I've used. Okay. The, the cardboard components are all thick cardboard. The, uh, I almost said replacement boards, but the variable boards are thick. Um, I've had no problem with warping or anything else like that with these. Uh, the board itself is, I mean, it's standard Euro, whatever, but the big, the big draw, right? The big aesthetic is the wooden tiles in the game. Yeah. The pyramid tiles, they are really nice. They clack together kind of like dominoes uh, and just the way that they look and sit on the middle of the board the, the visual centerpiece of the game. Yeah, if you're going to have this at a game day or at a PAX or some convention or something, and people are going to walk by and they're going to see that pyramid. They're Ooh, gonna, what's that? This is the this is the uh, the gear of Zulkin. Exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. When, when you have a painted gear in Zulkin, I 100% agree with that. Yes. Yeah, I definitely think that it, uh, it does a really good job of just being aesthetically pleasing from a table presence standpoint yeah both the uh, the little bits too the fact that the sticks are sticks and they're not just brown cubes oh for the wood resources yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i mean those little touches aren't necessary but they're nice right and the discovery tiles they're good i like the size of them they're a little too small to read at a far distance but I like them. I, I like the what they represent and what they do on the board. And the iconography, for the most part, is pretty good with them as well. And yeah, it just the wooden components are, you know, the houses uh, are, are solid. Yeah, o- overall, I would say, regardless of the MSRP of the game, I'm really happy 
with the component quality of the game. You factor in that this is a $50 MSRP game and you're like, wow. Yeah. How did they do this? I actually know the answer. I can't talk about that. But nonetheless, it's awfully impressive for what they were able to do for a $50 MSRP component wise. Oh, yeah, very, very happy about that. Now, on that note, since we're talking components, <laughs> how is there no player aid with step-by-step for each location with this game? Because that pisses me off. There is zero player aid. Yeah, it, it is way, way too easy to, for instance, forget to move up the Avenue of the Dead or to forget to peg. Oh, hey, I contributed by uh, placing a tile for the the main the main pyramid or placing a decoration slash step. Oh, I forgot to move up on that track. Come on. Give me a damn player aid that spells this out. If step by step, if nothing else, there should have been a player aid for the eclipse or that because yes, I realize it's on the board here, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But that said, thank you to a couple of BGGers out there. Uh, there are a couple of really, really good player aids out there, and we'll link to them in the in the show notes. One is by Almacar, A-L-M-I-L-C-A-R, and another by Trevor and Linda, all one word. So they both, I took a look at both of them. I didn't nitpick them, so they're, I'm not sure that they're 100% accurate. I'm going to assume that they're in really good shape. They both look beautiful. So take a look at those. And honestly, while I'm not going to say 100% they are mandatory, they certainly help a lot. So yeah, little little miffed at the uh, at the lack of a player aid on this. Moving on to the box size, ticket to ride box size. It's 11 and three quarters by 11 and three quarters by two and three quarters, or call it 30 by 30 by seven centimeters. Yeah, it's fine. It fits nicely on my shelf. Um, it's about the same size as Dinosaur Island and Spirit Island. I think I think it is actually the same size as those boxes, I yeah. think. I mean, I, I haven't measured it lately, but yeah, the Square Boss box is uh, something I've come to enjoy because you don't have to be fiddly trying to get it onto the shelf. Yes, it, it fits on... Mo- it, if you have a board game shelf, this will fit just fine. Yes. Uh, also, it seems to have just enough room for an expansion. Wink, wink. Huh, weird. Weird. <laughs> hmm. All right. Graphic design boy, have at it. All right. Uh, if there's one gigantic major comp- complaint that I do have with Teotihuacan, it's in the graphic design and the choices they made making this game. I kind of want to talk about this in tandem with the artwork. Be- sure, go for it. Yeah, I'm I'm totally fine with that. Okay. Um, so it is a gorgeous looking board. Oh, it, we're looking at it right now. It really is striking. It's pretty. But Agreed. I, I think it has some of uh, the most mismanaged graphic design in any game I've played. Simply because they chose form over function. Uh, is it the worst out there? No, uh, it's not the worst, but man, it's a clear cut example of of just form over function so badly. Uh, Key example is possibly the most important part of the game is the eclipse scoring. And the fact that it's in the corner, small, itty bitty, hard to see as it is, 
And then if you're the person who's actually physically closest to the spot who can read it the best, it's covered up by the houses that they prop up right in front of it. And even if you do manage to actually see it and can read it, there is zero indication of what any of it actually means. I know it's supposed to be there as a reminder in that, you know, you're supposed to memorize what eclipse scoring is and how it works, but not everybody plays that well. And if you're going to put it on the board at all, do it right. Yeah. Make sure it's clear. And this goes back to the player aid there. A player aid. It just, it just wouldn't have been that hard. Um, now again, I realize the MSRP on this is, you know, criminally low for what you get in the box. Understood. However, it's a piece of paper, piece of cardstock, whatever. Mm. But yeah, I totally agree that honestly, I'm okay with the fact that the board is busy. There's a lot of information and there's there's a whole lot of aesthetic here and really nice cultural touches that are really, really well done. And honestly... I would have liked it a little less artsy for a simple from a usability standpoint. But as it is, when you're playing the game, all the background stuff fades to the background. So no harm, no foul there. I can deal with that. That's not a big deal to me. Not entirely. How so? The whole section by the eclipse where you have all the people walking in, wandering around. Right. And down below by the um, architect track. It's hard to get people to recognize exactly what over here is important information. I've had people get muddled by trying to recognize what any of this activity is going on out there. And I'm not arguing with you. I'm from my standpoint, having played it a number of times, all that fades into the background. But your point isn't without merit. Don't get me wrong. For me, the aggravation graphic design wise is twofold is the fact that a lot of the locations are pretty straightforward. Okay, you move your die, you're going to pay some amount of cocoa, you take the action, and the action is very clear as to what you get in the whole nine yards for that. And that you you upgrade one of your dice, you advance one of your workers, however you want to word that. that. That's all fine and good. However, for some of the other locations, the other little, oh yeah, don't forget to do this step, i.e. moving up, the reward track for having contributed to the, to the uh, pyramid that's nowhere on there. And that is so easy to forget that again, I'm just frustrated that there's a lack of a player aid. And on top of that, the other big gripe that I have is the fact that there's really no good place on any of the locations to place your dice that isn't covering up important information within those locations. Like to me, they could have, they could have maybe shrunk down some of the iconography a little bit here or there or whatever, and had like a little dice holding pen for everywhere on each of the eight locations. It's just a little bit hard to manipulate where, and you want to keep all the dice together so that when somebody goes to that location, they know how much cocoa they have to spend or how much cocoa they're going to receive, depending on what action they're trying to get. And it's just, I feel like that was a pretty significant misstep. 
Yeah, I mean, there's also a ton of areas that you could point out. Like the fact that the dice improvements at the very bottom, you get two. It, there's no indication that you can do one of the dice twice instead of two of the dice once. You know this because you play it, but I, you're right. It's not crystal clear on the board. Agreed. Uh, and it's also, there is no indication about what the Avenue of the Dead the interaction is between the houses on the bottom and the uh this chart right no indication and the architect track there's no indication i'm sorry there's the four score victory points next to the architect track it's super tiny though it's super tiny and that that four score points i have been asked seven times over the course of a game what it meant it just means that when you're at the top of the track you get four points that's not clear that's not indicated anywhere it's not even indicated in the eclipse scoring area which is the only spot it should be indicated in it's just there's so many tiny little problems and then there's some oh oh, there's also on the science track the fact that you either spend two dice or you spend a four or a five die but do you improve the four or the five die no no but how do you know this you play the game. Right. It's in a rule book. Boy, yeah. it'd be helpful if it were in a player aid. Hey, good news. There's player aids on BGG that actually spell that out. So yeah, that's that was a little... Stuff like this is just... Again, would we be complaining about this if it were on a player aid? Probably a little bit, but not nearly as much as we are, I think is a fair statement. Yeah, I'm just really miffed that they decided to not have any text at all on the board. And not have a player raid. Right. One or the other, not both. Yeah. Agreed. All right, moving on to the rule book. Yeah. Really good job overall, I'd say. Yeah, I had no problems with it. Anytime I needed to find something, I could find it. There was a couple of issues that I needed to clarify, but stuff that I thought was common sense that someone asked a question about. It did take me a little while to find that, but I think that was one instance and I can't even remember. It. Yeah, I think overall, well done on the rule book. Uh one nitpick though, and this this irritated me to no end. The solo player components aren't listed at the beginning of the rule book with the other components. Mm. They're listed like I don't know, fifteen pages into the rule book when they're talking about the solo compo- the solo play. Yeah, so I'm like, why do I have these extra components? What are these orange things? Going through, learning the rule book, da da da. Uh, Oh, there they are. And I'm like, that's a queer place to put that. That's weird. That's not where I would have put that because all the components should be listed with the components. But again, that's kind of nitpicky. I understand. But it did uh, did kind of throw me for a loop. But overall, I'd say, yeah, well, it, as much as we're hammering the graphic design in certain aspects of it, I would say uh, well done on the rule book. Yeah. And the fact that all the like weird iconography where the end game scoring stuff where you need to know, Hey, what does this do? It's all on the back page. It is all the starting tiles are back there and the temple bonus tiles are back there. The tech tiles, discovery tiles, the Royal tiles, all the different types of tiles are all explained in the last couple pages of the rule book. All right, moving on to set up, tear down teaching and learning. What do you think? How much is the insert? Yeah. The uh, setup takes a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's not Arkwright. It's not Tricurian setup, but 
No, but those are really heavy games with a lot of different components. This just has one pile of components that gets in the way of everything. The discovery tiles, like sorting those out and getting those into the right areas. Uh, takes me more than setting up the rest of the board really i have the hardest time with the discovery tiles just because there's so many of them and you have to shuffle them and you have to make sure they're like off board but then you have to put one in each spot and then you have to put six over here and then you gotta put 12 over there and fair enough i mean like i said there's set up there's a fair bit no no doubt but yeah. i don't think it's i don't find it as labor intensive or as difficult as you but there's not saying you're wrong However, though, there, yeah, it just, it, it takes a while teaching. So this is one of those games, um, where teaching makes the game sound harder than it is. And I know maybe that's a fault of us teachers. Maybe some people are like, yeah, I can get, I can teach people how to play the entire game in 10 minutes. And I'm like, God bless you. Good job. I can't because again, I want to teach everybody everything up front so that they know what they're doing going into it. But yeah, how, how do you find teaching the game? I find teaching not so bad, but only because this is one of the few I don't really need to think about or prep in order to teach it. Um, but that said, every single time I've taught it, the same question keeps getting popped up. Wow, this is really like resource hungry. This is going to like cost me a lot to do anything. And I go play a few rounds. Yeah. And you'll see that it's not nearly as bad as you think it is. And I will say this. um, This is one of the, yeah, this is the example that we released to the public for the heavy cardboard teaching notes that all our $10 and up patrons get. So if you take a look on BGG, the Teo Teowakan teaching notes by heavy cardboard are on there. So if you want help teaching the game, print that off and use that teach folks, honestly. All right, let's get into the meat of things. Why do you like this game? If you do, what do you enjoy? Um, honestly, a lot of the appeal to me is the same sort of appeal that like Hansa Teutonica and Zulkin have for me. Who to thunk it, seeing as this is the spiritual successor to Zulkin. Yeah, I mean, I may have called this Zulkin 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you only have simple actions available, available to you in order to make as much impact as possible. Uh, and the goal is to just try and get as many of your actions to cascade together with as little cost to yourself as possible. Um, and you know, I like games where the replayability is a necessity necessarily and variables changing, but in trying to make your move to points ratio be as efficient as possible. This game really is kind of a VTL esque game. You move a worker, do a thing, but there's a lot more to it than just that one action. Even though kind of like VTL likes to joke about Lisboa, play a card, do an action, draw a card. That's it. Obviously, there's a ton more there. It's similar here. However, the turns move really quickly, like provided that you are paying attention and you have a plan in place and nobody thwarts your plan because you're so tight on Coco that you can't afford that one extra die that somebody went somewhere that you didn't expect. So now you can't afford to go to that location outside of that. You should be able to be like, okay, on my turn, I'm going to move this worker one, two, three spaces, whatever, and I'm either going to get Coco or I'm going to 
pay Coco and take the main action, or I'm going to warship. Pretty simple. Do the things, take your action, next player's turn. It does move along at a really good clip. Yeah, which is the one thing I like about Hansa Teutonica. If your turn takes more than 30 seconds, you're doing it wrong. I wouldn't say it's the one thing you like about it, is it? Comparatively. Okay. To, to, to compare to the two Okay, games. I was like, wow, I thought you liked Hansa. All right, moving on, moving on, moving on. <laughs> Uh, the fact that the mechanics are simple to learn and understand means that the biggest strategy decisions are what is the impact of this, which is the key. That's where the focus of a game should be yep. is right there on that. And uh, I mean, there aren't a lot of considerations to be made at most. You have nine potential options, but even then it should be apparent which of those options are immediately better, uh, which means that narrowing your focus means it's easy to see what you should work towards. However, there is a kind of a cost-benefit evaluation that you do have to do. Now, I hear you that, okay, you might be able to definitively say action A is going to be better than action B, C, D, F, Q, whatever, right? I get that. However, what you also have to take into consideration is the cost and cocoa that you might have to spend or not get, as the case may be, and because there are more workers in a location than what you want there to be. And then it comes down to that age old question that every human being has to make up for themselves or uh, decide for themselves. Is it worth it? So that cost benefit evaluation, even though a might be better than B, B might be better right now based on where everyone else's workers are and whether or not the cost is worth it or is the benefit outweigh the cost. So, yeah, so I agree with you mostly on that. The thing is, you can look right at the board state and go, oh, okay, so I'll get five cocoa now and I'll get seven points later or whatever. But, like, everything is very clear about what you're putting in and what you're getting out. However... A counterpoint to that would be, okay, if I were to go and do this in the order that I think I should do, because, okay, I would get this and I would get that, things can change enough to where it's not that linear. There might be certain uh, temple, uh, not temple tiles, I apologize, uh, pyramid tiles out there to where if I go right now, there are, uh, there's enough synergy between the the icons that are out there already to be able to maximize that. However. It's going to cost me more cocoa than I want to spend because my next action now I'm not going to be able to take because I spent more cocoa to be able to do that. So now I can't do this other action that I want to do provided nobody moves those workers there. So if that's the case, while I hear you, it still might have repercussions. So it's not a complete linear decision like that. Sure. It's not that it's linear. It's that it's it should be apparent. Like there's going to be at least two options here debating. Uh, sure, uh, that that's fair, right? But that's the type of decision that you want in a game, or right. at least that I enjoy in these games. Right, right. Um. Also, there's a lot of paths to victory. Like whether it's building the pyramid, honoring the dead, or just collecting mass. There's a lot of options for you to try to focus and get ahead. Um. The tech trees definitely help you focus that choice, especially if they end up doubling your score for you. Right. And the tech, I mean, just like in any good engine builder, technology is going to help you. The earlier you get it, the more beneficial it is. 
and it helps give you a little bit of direction because there are a number of things to do in this game. However, like any good game, getting those technologies isn't always as easy as you would want it to be because, again, then it would just be too easy. Well, unless you're my friend and his starting tech thing let him start with a tech and that tech gave him an extra three points whenever he went to the pyramid and then on his literal first turn he went there and bought the other one that lets him go up the god track whenever he builds in the pyramid and so he just spent the whole game building that pyramid there there definitely seemed to be if things work out just perfectly that people i'm not going to say broken i i don't like to use that term but it definitely i do feel in my experience at least that between the different paths that are in this game they do seem fairly balanced however anytime you have things like that to where you're going to have way asymmetric starting uh locations as well as asymmetric starting resources there can be certain mixes of those that are like uh yeah okay that seems to give you a huge bump up i'm okay with that and if you're aware of it and you see it then be like yeah why don't we redraw these okay no harm no foul and even then he's still only won by 10 points so that's not to say that there couldn't have been something that other players did better right to or could have done better i should say and again i'm i'm hardly an apologist for any game no matter who makes it or anything but whenever you have asymmetric stuff and there's a whole bunch eh, sometimes those things are going to happen you can always just redraw right, right so there's that then there's the question of and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about the things that you're taking into consideration like okay what can i do on a turn and is is what I'm doing enough? And if it isn't, how much do I need to spend to increase the ability and the value of this turn for the worker on subsequent turns? And after you figured that out, you have to decide which of your three, possibly four workers are you actually going to be moving? And then once you decide that, well, each worker has an option to move one, two or three spaces. So if you have three workers, you now have nine options of spaces to go. And even though there's only eight places on the board, those nine options are not equal because of the fact that which worker you move might set up your other workers. So the order in which you want to do things matters. So you have to take that into consideration. And then you need to focus on this turn, but also be thinking turns in advance, kind of like what I was just saying. I want to get resources, but if I use this worker to get those resources, then I can't reach building the temple or building the pyramid with this other worker. So I want to move that one. But if I do that, then that's going to cost me more or less or whatever. So there's a lot to take into consideration. And it's that depth of planning that really comes into play. Because this game ultimately is an efficiency game. Who can do the most in the right amount of turns or in the same roughly amount of turns? Yeah. I mean, it's just all about knowing what you want to do and knowing how to get it done. And when. And when. And the when is as big a a question that you need to answer as what and what's best. Yeah. 
the win ties into the point I wanted to make with how I really like the eclipse mechanic. Okay. I really like it as a timer. I mean, a thematic timer is always a nice touch. Right. Um, but having it tie in with the ascension and forcing your opponents to sort of be on their heels as soon as one of your die flips to a five. Right. Because now they got to think, oh no, if Greg turns that into a six next turn, like that's one less turn and he could cause the eclipse and oh no. Right. And the, the, the player determined end of a round, if you will, of the three eclipses. This is why I do prefer the sudden death uh, variant to where, okay, when somebody triggers the eclipse, it happens right then at the end of their turn, as opposed to, oh, I wasn't ready for that, but hey, everything's okay. I still get one more action. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I hell with that, I say. I've only ever taught it as the Dark Sun variant, but I've never taught it as a variant. Oh, you've taught it as that's how that's you play how it, you and play the game. there's the kindler, gentler version? Yeah. No, I don't even tell them about the kindler, gentler version. I legitimately, I play the game normal, uh, what I consider normal, uh, but I put myself in last because after my first time I taught the game, a lot of people complained when they were in last with this mechanic because they thought it was unfair because they didn't get enough points. And you know what? In fairness, on your first game, yeah, that's going to be a problem. Which is why, as the experienced player, yeah, I'll put myself in last and I'll deal with that. Mm-hmm. But if you're fourth and you're not pushing ascensions and you're not threatening the board, then you're doing it wrong. I I love how everything that you enjoy in gaming is threatening other people. I think that's really, really funny. <laughs> I I think that a game isn't fun if everyone isn't feeling really tense. I am not one to disagree with that. So I I feel you there. So this kind of, so bear with me here. It kind of reminds me a bit of great Western trail in that it has a similar story arc that your long-term goals are made up. It's a death by a thousand cuts, right? So it's, it's, it's very much mixed in with a plethora of small tactical decisions. And obviously it's not a direct correlation to Great Western Trail because GWT is an engine builder. However, with the techs that you can get in this game, this does have some aspects of an engine builder to it, even if that isn't the main focus of the game. That's going to accent and help you along for your resource gathering and resource conversion which is really what this game is. But the mix of strategies, long-term versus short-term, definitely reminds me of Great Western Trail. And I kind of touched on this a little bit, but timing matters, and that can and should impact the importance of certain actions and when those things happen. Like matching up colored tiles for the pyramid or the perfect decoration that's available for multiple steps up the temple, because... The temple tracks can be uber important in this game, much like in Zulkin, right? And so the timing of when a lot earlier, we had talked about the randomness of the temple tiles, the decorations and the uh, discovery tiles. And so you need to be a little bit opportunistic in that. Oh, wow. I didn't expect that to come out right now. Oh, that matches up. Perfect. Okay. So now the question is, 
do I stay on target or do I deviate for these pieces of candy that I like to call them, right? These little, oh, that would be so nice. That would be so cool. Do I do that? Because that's going to give me two bumps up there, which is going to get me that discovery tile. And I really want that discovery tile, but I really need to be able to do this other thing to be able to stay on my plan on what it was I was doing. And I like that the game offers you those little nuggets of candy that when they come up, it forces you to be opportunistic if you think it's beneficial to you. Yeah. I mean, a game that presents a change in the state of the game. So you're just like, oh, huh. I hadn't considered that. Right. But now, hmm. But if I do this, I'll get points there. And if no one else can do this because I'm going to trigger the eclipse, I'll get the lead of the architect track. And because I have the tech tree that gives me an extra four points, ooh, that's a you know 12 point lead I just gained. Wow, I wasn't anticipating. Yeah, I'll I'll choose that. But then again, I'm setting myself up for this. Is it worth it? And ultimately, that's what I really enjoy about this game. I like those uh, little opportunistic nuggets that the game provides. I mentioned earlier, quick turns should keep everybody engaged. I say should because of the fact that obviously AP can happen to anybody. And on occasion it does in this game, but once in a blue moon, okay, no big deal. Every turn. Now we got an issue. That's a player issue, not a game issue in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, uh, even the worst, uh, not the worst AP player, the person who's prone to the most AP player, in my gaming group, I think his longest turn, and this happened one time, and it was at the end of the game, and it was five minutes. That's a long turn. It though. was a long turn. We were, we all got up and we all did our thing, <laughs> but seriously, but five for, minutes for the th- that was it though. That it was, was a one time thing. Though? One time okay. thing, like the whole game clipped along five minutes. Okay, I'm probably exaggerating. Okay, because when you're sitting, so I like to make these jokes about, yeah, dude, tank for two minutes at the poker table. Have you ever just sat there staring at somebody for two minutes? That's an eternity, dude. Yeah. Um, so it might not have been five minutes. It was still significantly longer than the rest of his turns. But uh, as soon as that turn was over, he he just kind of sat up, went, oh, won the game. Okay. Well, so there's that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't even touched on the variability of the game. Um, this game is uber modular in that all of the printed locations on the quote unquote rondelle spaces all come as individual boards. So you don't like the order that they're in fine. Change it. Yeah. I just randomly throw them out. Uh, the one thing is now I don't, I teach it with the random order because I found it doesn't impact the new players play. Yeah. Because they don't know what they're anticipating. They don't have predetermined things that they're planning on right but uh i do and i'm tired of this space always being this so i probably ought to do that because i'll be honest i've never once used any of the new boards to randomize the order of it it makes it harder for you as the person who knows how to play the game to win automatically which is good i think that that's a cool little leveling you know, level the experience factor, yep. smooth out that difference there. Another thing that's ra- not ra- variable are the different technologies. And there are a ton of different technologies. There are different Royal tiles, which are little 
on one of the spaces, there are three different tiles in that you can go in lock workers to be able to change things up. There's a bunch of those. There's a whole bunch of end game scoring tiles for the tops of the temples. They've done an excellent job with variability and replayability from that standpoint. And I'll be honest, I haven't gone through 90% of them to say whether or not they're balanced. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt because at the top of the temple tracks, each of those is worth a ton of points and can be a huge game swinging thing, but anybody can reach them provided you focused on moving up those temple tracks. Yeah. I, I didn't notice too, if uh, you, the luck of the draw, this will happen only one time. I pulled out the end game tiles that matched what was already printed on the board. Oh, okay. That That's was unlikely. That was unlikely. Only disappointing thing that ever happened with uh variability. But yeah, for the most part, uh, the tech can get a little swingy because of the way that the starting um, thing technically works out. But other than that, yeah, it's not too bad. If I notice that the tech's going to be too bad, though, I will. You you can swap them out. So, and that's all them. before the game starts. So if, if they if they coordinated too well for one player in particular, something like that. And then the game also provides you, and we've alluded to this throughout, the game allows you to pivot based on other players' actions, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're out of the game because you had to pivot. Yeah, yeah. Which some people could see that as a negative, like, oh, if you had to pivot, well, too bad, so sorry, I'm out playing you, so you shouldn't be able to come back. It is what it is. Flipping over to the other side, things that we're not super keen on in Teo. Yeah, the first thing, I think this goes hand in hand with the ability uh, to pivot and the fact that there's a lot of ways to win. None of the ways to win feel really great. What do you mean by that? There's no real distinction from getting points in one area or getting points in another area. It's... This is sort of a flaw I see with point salads. I think the one exception to this was Castles of Burgundy for me, but for the most part in this game, I feel like my options are pick up sticks, put sticks down, pick up rocks, put rocks down. It doesn't feel like I'm making these grand, huge sweeping motions. And when I managed to get, a chain of points one after the other because I went up the God track, which let me do the thing and let me do a thing that feels good, but that doesn't happen super often. Um, Interesting because I mean, that's resource conversion games in general. Is it not? I mean, because, and again, I'm not being an apologist for it, but, Resource conversion games, get resources, convert them into other things. Who does it better wins. Sure. But the the thing I'm trying to say is there's no focus with it. You can't, if you're good at one thing, sure. But that scenario where my friend had the winning combination, he only won by 10 points. And I feel like maybe if you you have a broken combination maybe if you have a broken mechanism you should be able to do really 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 well and the fact that he just did okay it could be it could God, be a- I, I i get i'm playing good cop tonight apparently 
uh, the fact that maybe he didn't play real well. He had that option, but maybe it wasn't as good as what you guys thought. I don't know. And I don't want to definitively say one way or the other, but I mean, in this game, you can build the temple. You can focus on, I'm sorry, build the pyramid and or build decorations on it. You can focus on the Avenue of the Dead or in, in building buildings out here for the Avenue of the Dead, scoring points over on tile number six. You can acquire a ton of different resources to try and then convert them in various different ways. Or you can work on masks, collect a set collection game, if you will, with the different masks that are going to score you in each and every one of the Eclipse scorings. I, f- I find the masks to be actually the weakest part of the whole scoring points part. So here's my question on that note. Maybe it's not supposed to be a focused strategy that, okay, get masks. And I don't think it is, but it definitely kind of come not not comes off that way but it the fact that there's so many masks in so many different hard to reach areas right makes it seem like oh i should work towards there's yeah there are seven different types of masks and if you get all seven at the end of each eclipse scoring you can potentially get as many as 28 points which would be uh 84 points total realistically you're never going to get all seven in the first eclipse but you get the idea. I've never gotten all seven. I, I've seen it uh, multiple times. I've seen players do that. And all of a sudden, oh, they're trailing by 30 points. Wham. Here's 28 of it right there at the end of the game when other people have one or two because they didn't play or they did. They weren't focused on that one player whose main focus was getting masks, but it wasn't the only focus. They got some stuff over here, building up the pyramids, some on decorations, et cetera, et cetera. So they got other points, but they were able to score a total of 56 points over the course of the last two eclipses. When we're all scoring maybe 10 or 12, that can make up a huge difference, but it's not the focus of their whole game. So, Again, getting back to the original back and forth on this is I don't see that as a problem of resource conversion games or point salad games as a whole. I don't like point salad games as I uh, a whole lot either. Yet you and I both really enjoy Castles of Burgundy, which is very much a point salad game, as well as there are a plethora of others out there. But yet. Teo is kind of that as well as an efficiency game as well as a resource conversion game. And I, I think my, I think where my gripe comes into play uh, is something that you have as one of your gripes is that I can focus on my thing or I can diversify or I can do whatever I want. And there's nothing you can do to stop me from doing that. And there's nothing I can do to really stop you from doing your thing. So your gripe really isn't the fact that it's, a point salad or a resource conversion game. It's and this is a legitimate gripe. The fact that there's just not a whole lot of player interaction in this game at all. It's much more of a heads down than a heads up game, meaning you're worried about what it is that you're doing and trying to do the best that you can. And there is very little that another player can do to mess with you. I mean, if you cause another player to not be able to 
afford to go to a location due to the extra uh, cacao cost. That's awesome. But did you really plan on costing them? Okay, I looked over on you, on your board, and I saw that you only had two cocoa. So if I move to this location, you won't be able to do that now because it would cost you three cocoa. Well, newsflash, you had nine options of where to go on your turn. And maybe this was the best option, but I'm sure you can make lemonade out of lemons and you'll be able to choose one of those other eight options to be able to do something maybe not as good, but still good. That I agree with. The fact that there's not a ton of interaction in this game But ironically, you could make that case for other games like a lot of the newer Uwe Rosenberg games, stuff like A Feast for Odin or things like that. They're head down games. They're, okay, can I do this better than you? It's an efficiency game, which it's really funny that here I am playing good cop on this one. The fact that I don't really like Uwe's newer games, yet there's something about this game that I do enjoy, even though. It is similar in feel, or no, similar mechanically, mm, that's not even correct, because this being a giant rondelle and a point salad resource conversion efficiency game, even though there's all the uh, that, and it's me versus you, even though I'm not getting in your way, I enjoy this a lot more. But that doesn't invalidate that you're right. This very much has just not a lot of player interaction. Yeah, and I I think that's what kills all of that is just, oh, I got a stick, and now you come along and you paid your cocoa, and now you get a stick. Cool. All right, I guess I'll get to the, you know, Day of the Dead first. Sure. So you score one more point than I did, but again, in a 200-point game, (sighs) yeah, no. 100% 100% valid. I hear you. And my my favorite was uh, I ran to go get a mask was super stoked to get a mask from one of the worship tiles. Got it. Got it. And then pulled over and it was the exact same mask. Oh, good thing you hurried. And someone just knocked me out and took, took the it. mask right. anyway. And it there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't feel good because it doesn't do much for you. It's a lot of death by a thousand cuts, but it, that's how it works inversely to get points is just all these little tiny two, three, four, five point things. Fair point. And on that note, what you were talking about with the uh, discovery tiles, the randomness of the, of those decorations, the temple tiles and the discovery tiles, you can, you can go somewhere kind of like what you just said, right? Oh, I got it. And then boom, the perfect one comes up for your opponent that you worked to get around to the board in two turns or three turns or whatever it is, because you were like, I really, really want that. That's going to be perfect for me. And then it comes right in front of the next player. And you're like, Oh, that's awesome. Great. And there ain't a damn thing that you could have done about it. Also agree with that completely. Yeah. I think the, the, one of the worst examples, someone was going to lose the game, like straight up going to lose the game because they didn't have enough cocoa for the last turn. And the last discovery tile that popped up. Oh, you don't have to pay for any of your workers. Oh, oh okay. All right. Well, hey, well played there. <laughs> um, I think this is a, a point I wanted to make earlier. And I think you bolded this because I did not bold this. Oh, I very much did. There is so much administration. 
like there's a lot of making sure that things are done in the right order at the right time. And because actions can get skied, it can get a little bit silly. It's not a terribly big burden if you have help, but if you're teaching it to a group of new players and get annoying fast. Or if the fact that you are one of those new players, you're like, oh, I forgot to do this again. Oh, hey, you remember when I did this two turns ago? I forgot to move up this track. Again, this goes back to having that player aid, which I think would uh, alleviate a lot of that because as long as you're, you know, you were one of those kids in school that can follow directions and, and follow procedure, you follow down the track. Okay. I do this. I do this. I do this. Okay, cool. Next player's turn. Easy enough. I'm okay with that, but it should have been there to begin with. Yeah. And the Coco in every single turn in the dice improvement in every other turn that adds so much to the time of all these quick movements of oh oh wait how much coca was it again it was it's one plus two plus one plus one okay if we're going to talk about time investment and whether or not something is worth the time investment here's my biggest gripe of the game the symbol matching little mini game it's frustrating for everybody else at the table. And what I mean by that is you have the main pyramid on the board and each of those locations has four symbols. And for every symbol that you match, you get an extra point on top of the, I don't know, one, three, five, or seven points that you would get, whether or not it's the base, second, third, or fourth level of a temple. Okay, no harm, no foul. However, I have seen way too much time spent and i would argue wasted on somebody oh it fits okay i can get two points this way if i turn it this way no that's only one point if i turn it that no it's only one point if i turn it no two point okay next tile and i'm like really i feel like that could have been players spend too much time on what ends up being maybe the difference of a point yeah, it's gotten so bad for me that that space has officially, for me, become a co-op space. Yes, everybody. Okay, hey, you can place it right here. It's worth three points. Just put it down there. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but what if I... No, no, no. No, no. Stop Just doing that. <laughs> yes, I agree. Because the investment of time doesn't make... Or the reward doesn't make up for the investment of time in that. Completely agree yep. about that. Same with the decoration tiles. So, yeah, same thing said. Yes. Yeah. Just remember, the arrows have to place inboard. That cuts down half your options. That that helps with and, that. And yet. <laughs> right. Seriously. All right. There isn't a whole lot of emergent gameplay. You're really doing the same thing over and over. But as your workers get better, you're getting more and better stuff. Okay. Then rinse and repeat and do that again. Total of 90 minutes. Yeah. It gets a little dry it gets repetitive no doubt it does not bother me but it's there i completely understand why some people aren't going to enjoy that and also some people say the game overstays its welcome i have never found that in this game uh because as long as the game is moving along again the players aren't aren't APing. you're gonna have another turn here inside of two minutes so you should be constantly thinking about what can I do? What's my next move? What's my move three moves from now? And just keep it moving along. The only time the game ever gets aggravating for me is when I have to remind the other players of the administration stuff. 
and 90 minutes of no it's for coco right yeah all right fair enough yeah and you were literally build gathering three building resources to build three different things that is the entire game and somebody said there is so much glitz and glamour that artificially obfuscates what is entirely a simple goal build big stuff out of little stuff but my question there isn't that what a lot of euros do and is that necessarily a bad thing uh yes i'm gonna go i'm gonna use zulkin as the example which i think is fair because it's the same three resources that you're gathering okay um what you do with gold wood and stone in zulkin is so much more interesting and creative than what you do in teotihuacan how so because in teotihuacan stone is used for one thing gold is used for two things at most uh sticks are used for two things at most again that's it in Zulkin, there's resource transferring, there's building different types of buildings that do different types of improvements, there's using different uh, resources to go up the different tech trees. You don't have to use the same resources, use this resource instead. There's figuring out which resource is more worth it to you now versus what's worth it to you later. Whereas this is, I want to get three sticks so I have sticks for a while. I want to get three stones because I got to do a big move over the stone building thing and i need i need three stones because i already have two stones there's not a lot of consideration when you're gathering the resource what you're going to do with it you know what you're going to do with it because you limited on what you can do with it yeah and i guess a little bit of focus would be good in that regard but sometimes having a goal that two players are going for but only one player is going to get like in zulkin that's nice. That feels good when you're the one who gets it. Well, it feels good if you're the one that gets it. But yes. It, but, if, but if you don't get it, well, all right, I guess I could still use this gold and stone for something else. For a different monument or whatever. Fair enough. And ultimately, this is very much a point salad efficiency game. Either you're going to dig that or you're not. Yeah. I, I mean, I think point salad for me it's like a coin toss i think there's there has to be something around the point salad to bring me in agreed uh like castles of burgundy again it's it's not just uh a point salad it's a point salad where okay if i take that from the board no one else has access to that which means i'll get the points so yeah i'll take that you just hate people. I think that's what it comes down to. You hate everybody that isn't Greg. I think there needs to be <laughs> something mean about the game and inherently. Not very mean. I think Ticket to Ride is mean enough for me. Like Fair enough. It it just you need to be able to be like, Well, I did it. Cause I I got it. Now I got the six points, and you don't have the six points. Oh well, play better. There, there is no play better here. It's just play faster. More efficient. Play more efficiently. Yes. yes. But I don't need you to be at the table to play more efficiently. And that right there is why I normally don't like this type of game. All right. Moving on to comments from BGG. Here we go. We got a pretty good mix here. 
Mechanism salad and things made harder than they have to be. There are eight numbered sections of the board and they aren't even numbered sequentially. You move up tracks on everything and every action causes you to bookkeep multiple tracks, resources, etc. Technically, it may be a fine game, but I haven't uh, played a game as self-indulgent as, as this since Argent the Consortium. Just now, normally I don't mention who wrote these, but I think it's ironic and humorous to me that the user's name was Bored Beyond Belief. That was his username. That that struck me as funny. <clears throat> A wonderfully deep and challenging Euro game with so many interlocking mechanisms and associated quote-unquote ripple effects to take into account, making for deliciously juicy choice points and a wide range of tactical and strategic options. I think that's pretty solid. I agree with that. Every quarter, my work has a long meeting about budgets and sales and other boring stuff. There's always some guy who gets super into this crap and drags the meeting on for another 30 minutes, going over the same charts and same graphs over and over and over again. If that guy were a board gamer, this would be his type of game. It is not mine. I can see where he's coming from. I I, I think I get it. Like I said, either it's going to be your cup of tea or it's not. Teotihuacan feels like playing a midweight farming game and a midweight tile placement game simultaneously. And I love that. The balance is spectacular. Fiddliness aside, it's an amazing game that's going to spend a lot of time on my table. All right. Fair enough. All right. Two more. Save my two favorites for the last. City of Gods is a shameless point salad. You shouldn't be able to score bonus points for basic requirements such as collecting resources. There is a mixture of arbitrary moves to be made based on positions becoming too densely populated, scripted moves to secure obvious advantages and scoring opportunities which have zero thematic significance. The mechanical nature of the game appeals to me as as does its smooth abstractions. There is a considerable amount of triggers for inexperienced temple builders to mismanage. Ultimately, the gameplay remains too mundane and repetitive for players to become immersed in anything more than the occasional analysis paralysis or the planning of strategies. Time becomes lost in tactical optimization or reactive decision-making to foil plans. Thankfully, each of the three rounds becomes increasingly shorter before the game grinds to an eventual halt. If this is an accurate simulation of Mayan culture, it's no surprise that they had to abandon their homes and way of life in search of more meaningful existence. Damn. That's a, that's a good line. Um, not, not his cup of tea. Okay. Get resources. Blah, blah. Build pyramid. Blah, blah. Increase development tracks. Blah, blah. Been there. Done that. But you know my mantra, if it does something we've done many times before, but it does it very well, then who cares? I guess the innovative thing here is the action selection mechanism that is kind of a mix of worker placement and a rondelle, but with three or four workers and your worker's age, like we've seen in a few other games. But we've never seen this combination done this way. It's a well-executed system that will very quickly give you both many options, but also hard, compelling choices. That's good in my book. 
It also doesn't fall into the trap of having many things going on but no clear path from A to B. Even on the first play, it will be obvious what you need to do to achieve certain things. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy to execute it efficiently. Of course, the theme is there just to make sense of the dry mechanisms of the game, but as you should know by now, I'm completely fine with that. Did I write this? This is weird. (laughs) So yeah, the game does many things I like, and I don't remember anything annoying me. So yeah, one of my favorites of 2018. Yeah, I that that's kind of where I fall on this. The game doesn't do anything revolutionary. There is nothing <gasps> about this game. I feel like I'm summarizing already, but I'll go with it. The production is fantastic in this game. The graphic design is had some missteps and the lack of a player aid. I want to strangle people over. But overall, even though this is a point salad optimization efficiency game it really appeals to me and i really really enjoy this game and i think it succeeds in exactly what it sets out to do which is exactly be that yeah i mean i i like to walk in despite what some of my negative comments might seem uh, I think it's really neat mechanics with the dice moving around the board and i'm always a fan of resource gathering engines um, I just think it's hurt a lot by the graphical decisions of form over function. And uh, even if it is a gorgeous board, which it it is really gorgeous. I just think that there are a lot of other games out there that it reminds me of that I would much rather play with games that are just as mechanically dense with less administration. I I think that's that's well done and, and well said. So we rate on a one to six scale. One, burn it with fire. Damn you if you even give this game away. Just just get rid of it. Six is a Hall of Fame game. We don't give any half points. That said, you being the guest, Sir Greg, what do you give it? I give it a three. All right. Which is it has some good stuff. It has some bad stuff. Yep. All I'll, right. I'll play it again, but not this week. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> and for me, so... It's funny how you can have one thought when you're enjoying the game, you're playing the game the whole nine yards. But when you take a step back and you actually go through the process of spending hours of preparing for the podcast, how it makes you think about the game and makes you analyze things and make you look, it makes you look at it critically that you might not be willing or do or or that you want to do there at the table while playing the game or right after playing the game. So that said, I think that I fall at about a four and a half on this, which for me means it's a four. I think before I would have done that, I would have had it higher. But I think that there are enough things about this that keep it from being that one step higher than a four but it's one that I absolutely am glad I own. What I am curious about is after we play this with the expansion, and I wonder if the expansion, for lack of a better way to put it, fixes some of the shortcomings or enhances other aspects of the game to where it adds a layer or two to the game that makes it, that just improves it across the board. Do I know? No. Do I know what all comes in the expansion? Yes. Have I played it yet, though? 
No. So we'll have to wait and see until next week and the following weeks as we get it to the table more and more. Yeah, I agree with the uh, consideration stuff. When I first, I, I start with a rating and then I start typing out thoughts. I started this at a five and I kept knocking it down and I kept thinking, I don't know that I like this game that much. <laughs> Yeah, I and I think it's really interesting when we're forced to sit in and be critical of a game that we really like, or at least on the surface, really like. And I still do. Let's not let's let's be honest here. I really do still enjoy Teo, but um I'm I'm very much curious to see how the uh the expansion um adds or doesn't to the gameplay. Yeah. And I think you can enjoy a game and still be critical of it. I think that's healthy for like growing. It's what I did for through the ages. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think that's what we do uh, and it shows a maturity in the hobby that we're able to do this. Um, So yeah, there you go. That is our review on Teotihuacan. All right. So PAX East tomorrow. And the rest of the weekend, if you guys are in Boston for PAX East, make sure you see me. Say hi. Let's let's have a tea and hang out, talk shop. And I guess uh, we have about 90 minutes until we go live with PAX Premier. So, uh, yeah, busy day. So thanks, Greg. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed this. And thanks for thanks for taking the time to do this, dude. Yeah, yeah. No, I I enjoy doing this. I'll keep coming back if you keep having me. Good deal. All right. So y'all take care. We'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. Take care, everybody. See ya.